0: No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com, code, program.
1: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?
2: over the fence.
3: We are back. Good to be back. Yeah. We had a little little break. All of our children were home for two weeks for spring break. Our spring break is two weeks long, so we get double the fun than most people. <laughs> and um, we just needed to take a week to concentrate on our children and keep them entertained. So yeah. thanks for letting us do that. And during those two weeks, uh, Cody had a birthday. That's your fluff. That's my fluff. Cody had a birthday. You. And um, yeah, Cody had a birthday. And Cody doesn't like to celebrate her birthday. <laughs> She's so mad at me right now for talking about this. She does not like to celebrate her birthday. And I know this. And so my plan, my plan of attack for her for her birthday was literally the night before. (laughs) We're talking zero hours. The birthday was coming up. I think it was like eight or nine at night. And I'm like, what are you doing tomorrow? Do you want to go get lunch? (laughs) And what does Cody say to me? (sighs) (sighs) And and by, when she's saying this noise out of her mouth, it is an eye roll and a uh, like shrug of the shoulders like, do
2: I have to go to lunch? And I said, I'll be home. You can just come over. I really don't want to go out to lunch. And then she said, did you literally just say no when I invited you out to lunch? And I was like, mm-hmm, yep because she
3: wants nothing to do with celebrating. If it was probably like a regular Thursday and I was like, you want to go to lunch? She'd be like, oh, well, yeah, if my husband's home. Let's do it. But it was because it was her specifically her birthday and I wanted to take her to mm-hmm. lunch. She sighed at me and eye-rolled me and didn't want to go. But good news is she went. <laughs> and you posted a picture of me on I Instagram. did. And I posted a birthday picture on Instagram, on our Instagram to say happy birthday. I did all the things she hated. So. And I got her a gift. She even hated that too. Yep. So. <laughs> Oh,
2: man. Well, All the celebrating. Molly's a good friend because she tolerates my bad attitude.
3: I don't even care. I'll just do it anyway. So I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to still do it. But I did get a very exciting birthday present. Which one? You got a few gifts from other people, too. I mean, not just me, but... I got, I got called for jury duty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Happy birthday. Who would really ever think that they'd be excited on their birthday Well, to if get you jury tuned good, in, in to duty. our
2: Santa Rosa Hitchhikers, you would know that I've been heavily involved in watching the jury selection Mm -hmm. for the national case right now. And so I was like, "Well, I'm never gonna get chosen for a jury." And then, da da, she did. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday, Cody! <laughs> Again, it's just like the blue card in California that says, "Hey, call on right. this date for the next date." Which um, majority of the time they like x you out for right whatever reason. But it's but a glimmer of hope for it, is. <laughs> it is.
3: She's gonna try every single thing she can. She's gonna be wide of ava- it. She's like, "I'm available. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me when and where I will be there." <laughs> Sequester, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god could you imagine oh gosh <laughs> my house wouldn't survive I know I was like they would not survive that survive. at all
2: well it's good uh, to be back it's good to be laughing and it's good to have made it through another birthday alive yep you're still here I'm still going strong. <laughs> we're still making it through I felt very loved on my birthday and that makes me feel good. awkward <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad you felt horribly awkward on your birthday
3: So the last little piece of uh, info we have for you guys is we want to thank our newest Patreon members. Thank you. So we have Holly. Thanks, Holly. Thank you, Holly. Welcome to the club. And also we have
2: Papa Doug.
3: Doug, We love you, Doug. Thanks, Doug. You all might remember Doug from an episode we did not too long ago. He's one of our special guests and
2: one of our biggest supporters. So thanks, Doug. Thank you. And again, go to our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash over the fence and check it out. And with that said, it is my turn this week, and I am actually taking us to the place that we've been wanting to go. Canada! So today we travel to Victoria, British Columbia, which is on the west coast of Canada. Mm -hmm. Victoria is a beautiful area. Victoria itself has a pretty low crime rate, and during this time, which is the 90s, they had actually seen a surge in homicides, but it definitely wasn't anything that is on par with like... Right. Los Angeles. Rina Vark lived in one of the surrounding areas of Victoria, British Columbia, and she was born to Manjeet and Suman on March 10th, 1983. Her father was born in India and immigrated to Canada. Her mother was born into a Canadian Indian family that were practicing Jehovah's Witnesses. Oh, being of South Asian descent, she was considered to be in the minority population among the fellow residents of the suburb that she lived in, which was View Royal. But within that population, her family was further unique in the fact that they were also practicing Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. They ran a strict household with rules that Rena, as a teenager trying to find her way in the world, didn't always adhere to. And I think we can all relate to that. Yes. Rena also had self esteem issues surrounding her weight and her appearance. Her parents tried to be supportive of her and help her, but she didn't want reassurance from her parents. Mm. She wanted the outside world to tell her that she was beautiful and loved. Of course, at home, your mom and dad are going to tell you that you're loved and you're beautiful. And Mm -hmm. she wanted her peers to accept her. Of course. Yeah. She wanted more than anything to just be accepted. Mm -hmm. Now, this story has a lot of players in it, but... Even with understanding the atmosphere of the 1990s in Victoria, British Columbia, or the world at large, there's no justification or any real reasoning as to why what happens happens. Okay. I'm just going to give you some background on the main players so you have a general sense of the lifestyles that these kids had and the lifestyles that they aspired to have. Mm -hmm. Not that it gives any justification to the actual crime or any reason To the madness. But it's just, it was heavily discussed in the book about this case Mm -hmm. and also mentioned in various documentaries. So it's worth noting. During this time, growing up as a teenager in the 1990s, which I did. I was going to say, we can relate mm -hmm. very much so. The influence of rap music from the United States was also going into Canada. Specifically in this area, and this comes up a lot in the case, the influence of music and the pop culture around it, which fantasies of gang life in L.A., and affiliations with the Crips and the Bloods specifically. Okay. There were boys and girls in these schools in the suburbs that would claim to be members of gangs and would even get jumped into gangs, but they lived so far from the realities of real gang life that it was almost laughable.
3: Yeah, that's like, that's weird. I listened to it and enjoyed it, but there was no way I would be like, well, now I want to like act it. They're almost like acting
2: it out. Right, but there there is a subset of, of people that, I mean, I knew growing up and that was the vibe that they wanted. They wanted to the, yeah, claim gang affiliation. Two of these people that have a strong influence from this fantasy world that we're talking about are Warren Glowatsky and Nicole Cook. Nicole said she was going to be a hit woman for the mafia in New York. Okay nicole's mom also lived in the view royal area but nicole spent her time in a group home due to her proclivity for crime including stealing clothing mm-hmm. makeup and even cars at one point point.
3: and so let me get this right they're all teenagers at this point right when this is going on like 15 16 i'm we assuming we will get
2: to exactly how old okay. they are and okay. it is gonna blow your mind oh gosh today. oh no um her mother didn't have control of her which is why she spent a lot of her time yeah, in the group homes right Warren Glawatsky, he went by Warren G. Oh, no, he did not. Like the rapper. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> and he thought he was a crip. He even yeah. went so far as to get jumped into a local crip gang by his friends.
3: You can't claim Warren G when there's already the Warren G. Yeah, like, and you're not the Warren G. And I understand him. that's
2: your initial, but that not- doesn't work. No. Sorry. But Warren, he did have a rough go at life. His mother was an alcoholic, and he was just living with his dad until his dad remarried and relocated to San Diego, leaving Warren in Victoria, British Columbia at the age of 16 by himself. Really? He left him to live with friends, and he was without a stable home and absolutely no guidance. So he just jumped around from to friends' homes mm-hmm. and had no real yes. parents, basically. Exactly. Oh, my gosh rena's home life however was very different from what i've mentioned for nicole and warren mm-hmm. it was warm and supportive and loving it was strict mm-hmm. they had rules and guidelines which was right. very different from what nicole and warren were dealing with okay but rena she was rebelling and she met up with some teenagers at a local park uh, she was seeking friendship and acceptance and with the influence of some of these peers that were already in the foster care system and the group home system Rina went to the Ministry of Families and Children and reported that her father had sexually abused her. Really? She was made to believe that being in the foster care system would be better than being at home. So she lied? You would have a foster parent or would be put in a group home where you had more freedom and didn't have to follow your parents' rules. And it was under that suggestion that she went with this lie to wow gain freedom from her parents, apparently, or pretty much. Yeah, that's crazy. That's... To think that was her mind frame, that's pretty crazy. The kids that she saw as part of it, they were free to go to the park and smoke yeah. and didn't have curfews other than signing in and out. Nobody really questioned what they, right. where they were going or what they were doing. Little did she know that she had caring parents and that's why they Yeah, about I was going to say, things. I'm sure as soon as this, if this all works, which we'll find out, I'm sure as soon as she gets there, it's like, maybe it wasn't the best idea. So it was... Um, during this time that this event occurs, that she's under the care of the Canadian Ministry of Families and Children. Okay. Well, in one of the group homes, she meets Missy, Mm -hmm. along with Nicole Cook, who we've already mentioned. Mm -hmm. They both live in the group home. Rena would make up stories about being on probation and about crimes that she had been involved in. But she wasn't. But she wasn't, Mm -hmm. because she wanted to try and impress Missy and Nicole. And at the group home, she was teased, specifically for her weight. And Missy, although somewhat of a friend figure, wouldn't do anything about it. She would stand by and watch pretty much. So, where Missy had a soft spot for Rena, Nicole just did not like her. She said Rena was jealous of her because she was beautiful. Okay. During the course of her being in the group home and her friendship, if that's what you want to call it, mm-hmm. Rena allegedly gets involved with Missy's boyfriend. Apparently, Rena is seen wearing her boyfriend's black and white Adidas jacket. So, of course, Missy's upset. Missy admits that during this time period, she was very angry and had a very bad temper. She wanted revenge on Rena. Nicole didn't have such anger against Rena yet. However, Nicole started getting phone calls after phone calls and phone calls from her friends. Apparently, Rena had stolen a phone book of hers, and Rena, or someone posing as Rena, had called her friends and identified herself with her own name, saying, Hi, this is Rena. Yeah. Let me tell you something. And she was trying to spread rumors about Nicole. Hmm. These rumors were super juvenile, too, because we're dealing with 14 year olds. Oh, they're only 14. They're 14. Oh my God. Rumors gosh. such as Nicole's eye color is fake. She wears contacts. She has implants. <sighs> she has AIDS. Oh God. So, Rena, this girl that just wants to fit in, is going to call around to friends and badmouth a girl that she admires?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, it's theorized that if hypothetically she right. did do this, she was only doing it to impress Missy and Nicole. She would have been involved with Missy's boyfriend and spread rumors about Nicole to prove to them that she was just as bad as them or that she could pull the same guys as them. Okay. I have a hard time believing that a girl with low self-esteem is going to call people out of a phone book that she doesn't know and self-identify. Hi, my name is Rena and let Mm -hmm. me tell you something bad about Nicole. Mm -hmm. Like that doesn't seem the right way to spread rumors. You can call and just say something but not identify your name. Mm -hmm. So that's how Nicole found out it was Rena. Mm-hmm. yeah I agree with that coming from someone I wasn't the most confident kid growing
3: up and I was I would never be able to do stuff like that I wouldn't couldn't like answer the telephone sometimes when people call and I didn't know who it was calling like, right so I could I definitely agree with that like it's not something that's easy to do for a person or a kid that's you know has lower self-esteem about right. themselves
2: so I question whether or not so she was getting the phone calls but right. I question whether or not it was not somebody else doing, doing that to it. harass Rena almost right like kind of to get get her in a way yeah Mm -hmm. I see what you're saying so Nicole is upset about Rena's supposed actions and begins plotting with her best friend named Kelly Ellard they plot openly at school about beating up some girl that was talking behind Nicole's back Rena doesn't go to the same school as Nicole and Kelly so she's unknown to Kelly Kelly's just siding with her friend Nicole but they even have a phone conversation in front of Nicole's mom where her mom can only hear one side of the conversation right and from what Nicole's mom can gather Nicole and Kelly were going to walk a girl into the woods where a pre-dug hole would be and they would have her fall in and then they would just bury her alive. So the mom heard that? Yes.
3: And didn't do anything?
2: I don't know exact what actions were taken, but I think we've talked about this before. It's like, you don't believe. Well, yeah, I
3: know. But still, I don't know. As a mother, though, that's a different scenario because we talk about other children doing, you know, hearing things like that. But this is like an adult mother.
2: But just a side note here. What if she says to her, like, who are you talking to? She's like, oh, I'm just bullshitting. So and so then you wouldn't be like, so are you really going to dig a hole and do that? I right. mean, maybe we would. <laughs> yeah, but True. no, no, you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I but nothing is done from that. Mm-hmm. A little background on Kelly Ellard now. We haven't talked about her yet. She didn't have the same troubled home life that Nicole did. She lived with her mom and her stepfather, stayed out of trouble for the most part in regards to her behavior with the law. She didn't get arrested, didn't steal mm-hmm. like Nicole. She flew under the radar. Okay. And she just knew Missy from school? No, she knew Nicole, Nicole from school. Okay, They're best mm-hmm. friends. Okay. Her stepfather was actually a local hero of sorts. He played on the Canadian World Cup team in 1986 and scored the winning goal against Honduras. Uh during the oh. World Cup at that time. So wow. everyone viewed her family very well. Yeah. He's a local hero and... Hometown hero. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And her stepfather even has some personal affiliations with local law enforcement. Okay. Just know some people on the force or people that are related to people on the mm-hmm. force. Kelly did have some issues at school with back talking to teachers and violent outbursts. And a referral process was actually in place already to get her transferred to a new school because of her behavior issues. Okay. Kelly's parents will say that they were the ones that wanted her to make the change, but there was okay. things in the process. Now I'm going to take you to the night of November 14th, 1997. Rena was at her parents' house this night. She was currently living in foster care at the time but had been spending more and more time at her parents. Mm-hmm. She planned to stay at their house that night and even brought pajamas with her for this to happen. On this evening at around 6:30 or 7, Rena gets a phone call at her parents' home. It was Missy calling Rena to invite her out. Rena was skeptical at first of the invite. Why would Missy want her to go out? Wasn't right. she mad at her for messing with her boyfriend? Mm-hmm. But she longed to belong. And although she had heard rumors that someone was going to get beat up that night, she basically verifies with Missy. Like, that's not me, is it? Like, the girl that I hear is going to get beat up tonight. That's not me, is it? And Missy reassures her. No, it's not you. So she takes that at face value and she decides to go. Rena's parents tell her no. No. Again, she's a ward of the ministry. Technically not really living there. Yeah. And they wanted her to stay there. They said, these are your plans. Stay here. Stick to your plans. But Rena was too tempted to hang out. They all head out to the field behind Shoreline Middle School, where some of them go, where they would often hang out and party. Yes, they're hanging out behind the middle school and partying. Okay. These middle schoolers. These 14-year-olds. These 14-year-olds. That night, they weren't there for very long before a boy threw a rock through a school window. Okay. The janitor at the school called the police and the police comes and disperses. They say everybody leave. But the police know that the teenagers hang out and party back there. So it's like no harm, no foul. Nothing's right. really a big deal. They just come and clear it. Basically. Exactly. They're, you're yeah. too rowdy. You need to go. Time to go. And the group somewhat disperses. Part of the group ends up, I believe, at a convenience store. And from there, Rena calls her parents and tells them that she'll be home within the hour. Missy and Nicole get a hold of Rena's bus pass and rip it up. So So, she can't make it home now. Yep. They then link arms with her, you know, holding that at the elbows. Remember Mm -hmm. how you used to walk in middle school? Mm -hmm. And as a whole group, not just the three of them, but there's a large group of people, they decide that they're going to go underneath the bridge and smoke. So once they get under the bridge, she's sitting on a wooden tree stump or a wooden log, and she's surrounded by Missy, Nicole... And Kelly plus five other teens, and there's also other teenagers there closely, but not in this semicircle that has now okay. surrounded Rena. So there's like eight of them there's plus eight, more scattered about. Exactly. There's way. eight surrounding Rena. And then they had said there's over a dozen kids down there in general. Okay. So I think they named five or six other ones. So there's okay. a large group of kids yeah. down there. So Nicole's the first to start, and she asks Rena, why have you been talking about me? And then Nicole proceeds to put her cigarette out on Rena's forehead. Oh, from that initial event, the semicircle around her mm-hmm. and all eight teenagers in mm-hmm. this semicircle just start beating on her. In this group, there's seven girls and one boy, all 16 years and younger. Oh my Most gosh. of them are 14 and 15. Mm-hmm. They're kicking her, they're punching her, they're slapping her. Someone finally yells, That's enough. Yeah. And everyone stops. Interesting, though, is that the one that yells, That's enough, she had actually been called out that night to get in a fight with somebody she didn't know oh they knew someone was gonna get beat up that night she's like there to assist or something oh my gosh so she's involved in the beating she says that okay rena's now had two that's enough it's enough yeah it's gone too far stop and she actually threatens them that if you want to hit her again you're gonna have to go through me so then she's interesting she turns on everybody else yeah but from that point the beating stops okay so she did speak up at some point and say something well, I mean, I, I, it's just I could, a bizarre it that is. she's there to fight. And then at what point was it too far
3: maybe for she, her to see?
2: Maybe she just realized, I mean,
3: kids can have a change of, anyone can have a change of thought, even in a process like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe honestly during it, she just like realized like this is going too far. Like I want out and we need to stop. And maybe she just had like
2: a moment of clarity in that pro- right. time, you know? So she does turn and everyone listens to her and everyone stops. So once the beating stops, the group, Goes to leave and they leave Rena there on the ground, bleeding. And the other group that had been there, there was actually another guy involved, and he took a group of uninvolved females and said, Hey, we need to get out of here. Don't be a part of this. So they're already up top. Right. And at this point, everyone that's been involved in the attack is now going up top the bridge as well. There are a dozen teenagers who are a witness to this attack or a part of it. Not one of them on this night will call the police or go home and tell a parent. Not one. It was like mom's the word. Yeah, Keep like it shut down. Mm-hmm. So Rena eventually does come up from the bridge, and she sees the group of teens still there, and then she goes back down below. Yeah, she's scared. She's, I'd be terrified yeah, too. <laughs> she's probably waiting it out to make sure yeah. they leave. She's like, as long as they're gone, I can leave then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when she thinks the coast was clear, the teens had all dispersed and gone their separate ways. Rena comes up and starts to walk over the Craigflower Bridge, but she wasn't alone. Warren and Kelly were following her. Kelly insists that she needs to talk to Rena to make sure that she isn't going to rat them out for beating her up and also to make sure that she's learned her lesson, you know, oh, not gosh. to talk. Yeah. Not mm-hmm. to talk about Nicole. They go and they end up taking her below the other side of the bridge. Kelly then directs Rena to take off her shoes and her jacket, which she does, and her jacket is the black and white Adidas jacket that she had gotten from a boy. Okay if you remember that caused right. part of this well that's what i'm saying i'm like
3: they're beating her up because they're talking crap not about the boyfriend
2: thing anymore right they're not upset they're just more upset about these supposed phone well calls. missy's involved in the attack too so okay. everyone's just mad at rena and For then there's whatever, but there's reasons. those two people but yeah. then everyone else i don't think they even really knew rena well, okay got it they didn't even know what was going on like i said yeah. that one girl came out that night just to jump somebody <laughs> that wow. was it warren and kelly start beating her again Jumping on her, stomping her, kicking her, smashing her head into a tree. Oh, my gosh. She's knocked unconscious from the blows, and they each take a foot of her rena's, and they drag her to the water's edge of the (sighs) gorge that is underneath this Mm -hmm. bridge. While they drag her, her pants end up coming off. Mm -hmm. Kelly then drags her into the gorge fully, into the water, and holds her underwater for at least three minutes. (gasps) Kelly would later brag that she smoked an entire cigarette calmly as she held her underwater. And she's 14? Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Now, Warren, apparently during this time, is obviously not actively trying to stop the drowning. Mm-hmm. But allegedly saying, no, stop, don't do that, but is well, not doing anything to stop it. I'm sure he could have stopped it if he wanted to stop right. it. Despite all of this drama... I want it to be noted that almost everyone made it home pretty much by curfew that night, except for one. Rena's parents at home were concerned about their daughter since she called them to let them know she would be home. Like and, she said, in an hour. Yeah. And yeah. then she never came home. And that wasn't like Rena. Rena did stay in touch, and she would. If she said she was gonna be there an hour. She would, mm-hmm. or she'd let you know that she was gonna be longer. The next morning, Rena's mom starts calling around. She calls the home where Nicole and Missy lived and speaks to each of them. They confirm, yeah, they had been with Rena, but they met up with her and then she ended up leaving with some guys. Mm -hmm. Her parents report her missing the next day and they're told that they have to wait 48 hours. We need to figure out another
3: way. I mean, the whole waiting for 48 hours for teenagers or I think it needs to be like an under
2: 18 thing. Like we can't do that anymore. Well, you'll see how it's a little more convoluted here is that. They didn't take it seriously, considering that she lived in a group home. She had prior acts of running away. And if you live, I don't know how the law is here. I'm assuming it's the same. But Mm -hmm. under this specific law that they discuss, if you're a ward of the ministry, then if you come home 30 minutes past curfew, you must be reported to the police as missing. Right. But the police don't act on that right away because I think one guy they investigated said that it could be 20 to 30 missing kids a night. Right. That are called in from these group homes. So her parents did call her in, but they just kind of lump her into this group of kids that live in group homes that go missing and then reappear the next day, only to go missing again. Mm -hmm. Missing, quote unquote, because they've stayed out past curfew again. Got it. Okay. I still think there needs to be something. If it's not 18
3: and under, maybe 16 and under, like children, they're 14. Right. I just feel like if anyone, I understand that it could take a lot of police time and a lot of resources, but I just feel like any child that's that young should Mm -hmm. be looked for right away, no matter what the circumstances. Yeah.
2: The day after the murder, Missy, Nicole and Kelly revisit the site of the murder scene. Right. And mind you, when Missy and Nicole left that night, they didn't know this all happened. Rena was still alive. Yeah. So Kelly informs them and they go back to that shore area under the other side of the bridge where she had been drowned and they go to collect anything that may have been left behind like the shoes and the jacket. So they pick up Rena's shoes but the jacket is oddly gone. Okay. Where's Rena? Well, that was kind of my thought too is, well, where is the body then yeah, if they did that? But I, I guess she had pulled her for and maybe she had gotten... Just sent to some brush nearby or, or something? Or pushed downstream. I don't know. They mm-hmm. didn't... Missy and Nicole don't see Rena. Okay. So you said there was the shoes, but the jacket's missing. They end up taking the shoes downtown and they drop them off in a dumpster to get rid of that evidence. The jacket... However, it finds out that it was picked up by someone in the area that thought it was a jacket that had been stolen from her friend's grandson. So this sweet lady <laughs> That's so weird. This sweet lady goes home, washes it. washes it. Oh my god. to make sure it's returned to him safely. But there goes that evidence. <laughs> oh my gosh.
3: Like why would she? what are the odds of that though? I know, but like that just seems like a very far fetched. Like first of all, how did she know her friend's grandson's jacket is Have missing? Stolen? <laughs> has yeah. been stolen or and then is that missing? Must be it. Yeah, that has to be it. Like right. down by this riverbank, yeah, under a bridge or whatever. right. <laughs> that's so weird. That was yeah. So the the story behind that is crazy because she comes forward afterwards. Anytime I ever see any like clothes mm-hmm.
2: like discarded, that's the last thing I think about is picking it up and bringing it home to wash. Nope, <laughs> no thank you. Although everyone seemed to keep silent on that first night, like I said. no. No calls to the police no telling their parents right. by monday the rumor mill is moving at lightning speed well they all were there so they're probably like what happened after we all well, aside left? that kelly we'll get into it but kelly has now told missy and nicole so she hey, tells them i they, killed her mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well obviously because And they say we need to go get these right, items yeah, from her yeah okay sorry
3: i'm just my head's my head's turning i'm like
2: why why kelly
3: why like she had no skin in this game
2: I really wish by the end of this, you'll have an answer, but spoiler alert that you will
3: not. Okay. We will not understand why.
2: No. And that's why I said at the beginning of this, no matter what I'm saying, there's literally no rhyme or reason. Yeah. So the rumors are this. A girl got beat up. A girl was murdered. Warren, well, he got in a fight with a native man who said something offensive to Kelly. Some of these rumors were just the production of rumors. Right. Others were strategic stories to explain away evidence that may have been seen. For example, blood splatter on white jeans, fight with a native man. Right. There's that explains that away. Nicole has no problem bragging about what has happened though, because you know, she's a certified badass. Okay. She's a hit woman, remember? She's gonna right. be a hit woman in New York for the New York uh, mobs. She didn't even have anything to do with it. She just likes to be nope. able to talk about it. So but she's gonna go tell everybody mm-hmm. what happened. So she actually brags to two girls that are in her group home and they don't believe that she was involved in a murder somehow. They're like, Okay, yeah, yeah, you're yeah, gonna yeah. be a hit woman, you're involved in a murder, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And then she says, Call Rena's house, see if she's there.
1: In that case, I pronounce you
3: lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting.
2: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So they end up calling Rena's home, and her mother answers and says that she's not there. And they can tell by the tone of her voice that she's that upset. she is distraught and worried. And they're yeah. like, "Oh damn." Mm-hmm. Well, they don't care for nicole much and don't care for the fact that she may have been involved in a murder at this point Mm -hmm. they don't feel safe at the group home sleeping next to her so they take this information to police from there it starts unfolding rapidly as they're able to link up rena's missing person report right with a girl that's been murdered yes and that's when there's the big aha moment for the police they're like wait a second she's missing and that's who they say is murdered. Okay, that there's really something to this. Right. It's not just teenage drama talk. Right. Yeah. So a week after Rena's murder, on a similar Friday night during a hangout on the field behind Shoreline, and I really like the like I was reading about this, and I really like picturing this in my head. Mm-hmm. Undercover police officers arrive, and they start descending on all the kids that are in the field and they start detaining all of them. Really? They're detaining them. They're questioning them. Who are you? What's your name? Who are you? Where's this person? Where's Warren? Where's Kelly? Because by this time, they know. they've they gotten all of this information. Yeah. Because... People are talking. Mm -hmm. So they're taking everybody in. I didn't fill in the blanks for that whole first week because so much happens. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to take the end point where police undercover are now descending on this what used to be the hangout spot for the kids. And up till the Friday before, they would hang out there. Mm -hmm. Now it's swarming with adult police officers. The teenagers are all taken to the police station and split up in various interrogation rooms and cells to keep them separate. Parents are there as well with their kids. And it's a mess at the station. Upset moms teenage angst, hormones. And the police have been working this case for the last several days. So they're exhausted too. And now they have to deal with teenager drama as well (sighs) on top of a serious crime of murder. Right. Which has been a huge obstacle in their investigation because they're like, I can't handle all of these hormones and drama. And are they
3: like looking for Rena at this point too besides the fact that they're like questioning all these teenagers?
2: They're trying to figure out where she could possibly be. Mm B, and they have started kind of a side um, investigation of the gorge because that a girl is been drowned in the gorge okay and at one point they do approach her mom and say there were two fights and your daughter's maybe in the water mm. and she's like okay first of all there's one fight now there's two fights so yeah. she has no idea what right. he's even talking about and that's right. about all of the information that they have too mm-hmm. because they're also having a hard time believing everything these teenagers are saying because it's so unbelievable yeah right mm-hmm. i'm sure it's all muddled too i'm sure there's so many different mm-hmm. scenarios. lots of heightened emotions mm-hmm. they, right. they describe this scene at the police station there's moms in the bathroom throwing up because they're so upset about their, their kids kid being, being involved, involved in a murder, in a murder. They're 14 again. And then you have other parents coming in wanting to protect their kid. Why are you talking to them? Why do you do this? And then there's other kids reaching out for each other. And there's other people that just don't talk. Right. So it's just a a hot mess. mess. And they have to figure out how to get through all of this teenage BS to get to what really happened. Right. The police conduct searches of all of the involved teenagers lockers and bedrooms, including what they refer to as the Shoreline Six. Okay. And the Shoreline Six is part of that group of eight people. Mm hmm. That group of eight has now been broken up to the Shoreline Six and Kelly and Warren. Kelly and Warren were both involved in that first attack. Warren is that one male that I referenced. Okay, got it. I think he got in one kick during the first beating, Mm -hmm. but obviously that's not how it ends. Right. But so the Shoreline Six, which does include Nicole and Missy and then Kelly and Warren. Mm Mm-hmm. So during a search of Kelly's home, they find in her laundry room a Calvin Klein jacket with sand and small pieces of seashell and evidence that it may have been immersed in salt water with like um, white residue. Right. They also find at the comfort inn where some of the kids had dispersed to, they find glass shards and on the glass shards, they see small blue letters that say L and S. They take it to a department store and they say, hey, can you identify this? They're like, oh, that's our polo sport bottle. I can tell by the lettering. And that was something that was in Rena's purse that night. Oh, okay. So, eight days after her attack, after all this information has come out, after the searches, Rena's body is discovered in the gorge. It's found by a helicopter search crew, and her body is gently collected and taken in by the dive crew. The Verk family is notified that their daughter Rena has been found murdered in the uh. gorge. On November 24th, 10 days after her attack, an autopsy is performed on Rena to confirm the cause of death. Her body appears to have been in cold water for a week due to skin slippage on her hands, and that's when the skin kind of starts to peel mm. away from the bone. Yeah. That's how they're able to tell the time frame of the amount of time that she's in the water. Right. Aside from the apparent exterior injuries that you would expect from a beating, right. bruising, bleeding, swelling, mm-hmm. on the left side of the back of her head, And on the left side of her back were patterns of a shoe. She had no broken bones, no dislocations, no signs of sexual assault, which did come up because her pants were off. Oh, which is why I explained that they had gotten pulled. Yeah, that's how they know she got dragged into the water. She did have damage to her liver and pancreas. Layers of her abdominal wall were bruised. Her organs had been crushed, mimicking what would actually occur in a car accident. Wow, that's a... That's a pretty vicious beating. Yep. She had evidence of internal bleeding in her chest and lower abdomen. Her brain was swollen, including an injury that could have caused unconsciousness. On the back of her brain, there was a bruise in the shape of a sneaker on her actual brain
3: on her brain oh my gosh
2: and upon examination of her lungs they were able to confirm that it was death by drowning okay as there were 18 small pebbles in her lungs so she had been alive when she went into the water may have been unconscious but But she was alive yeah there is speculation that she would not have survived the injuries from the second beating i think when she sustained a lot of the more vicious ones Mm Because remember, she got up and walked away from the first one. She was unconscious after the second yeah, one. right. So there's speculation that she wouldn't have survived that. But ultimately, the actual cause of death was drowning. With this information, the Shoreline Six were charged with aggravated assault. And Kelly and Warren were charged with second degree murder. Missy, Nicole, and one other person plead guilty. And they received a one-year sentence. The other three pled not guilty, but they're convicted and sentenced to 60 days Mm -hmm. for their involvement. In total, the six were ultimately convicted of a lesser charge of assault with bodily harm. So not the initial charge of aggravated assault, but they all did some amount of time ranging from 60 days to a year. Okay. All of these girls, along with the witnesses in the case, were protected by the Young Offenders Act, which prevents the release of names in the cases of minors. In the book that I read titled Under the Bridge, Missy is referred to as Dusty, Nicole is referred to as Josephine, Mm. and the remaining four are still unnamed, but referred to as Layla, Willow, Maya, and Eve. The reason that Nicole and Missy's names have been released and that I can use them in this episode is that they've come forward and spoke publicly, specifically in an MSNBC episode called... Bloodless under the bridge. Okay. So that's why I have not named any of the other ones until now right. because we don't know their names. Right. Got it. And at the time the book was written, I don't know if she made the choice not to use Missy and Nicole's names or if it was before that. I would assume it's before, before that. The, the documentary. Yeah. Prosecutors fought to have Warren and Kelly tried as adults. And with that Young Offenders Act, mind you, that being tried as adults, their names would become public knowledge along with the witnesses oh, that okay. testify. This is where I don't agree with this. Right. The media drag some of the witnesses through the mud and defame their character when they aren't even involved, aren't even at the scene of what happened, but just may have had some knowledge about it afterwards. Okay, so
3: the, yeah. So these are people that weren't even there. They
2: just nope. knew about it, heard about it. And then they come forward and they're giving testimony. Why would they defame them? One of the witnesses, who was actually Warren's girlfriend... And she's a specific victim of what the media does. She was upset that the Shoreline Six's identities, people that were actually involved, they're protected. And they were actually involved in the attack. Right. Whereas herself, as Warren's girlfriend, because he's being charged with second-degree murder and she has to give testimony on it, her name's public knowledge. And she hadn't even been there that night. That's crazy. And I'm sorry, did I just now realize
3: that kelly and warren weren't boyfriend and girlfriend i just assumed they were because like why else would you be beating
2: someone up together? together
3: i mean that's just again
2: even weirder no reason yeah and i'm sorry if i didn't lay that out earlier it was just there's so many moving parts in this i just wanted to give you the main grasp of what happened right No. and so warren's girlfriend comes forward and then the media says she didn't care. She was so callous and right. cold out there. She could have said something and like, she didn't. I feel like the witnesses should still be protective under that clause. If, I they, are, if they are a minor, they should absolutely yeah, be protected. that doesn't make any sense to me. So in this case, it didn't happen and she got filleted Ugh, in the media. Poor thing. So Warren and Kelly are charged. Kelly is released on bail under house arrest while Warren waits in adult prison. Oh, at 14? 16. 16 now. Warren, okay, still. Warren, he from his stature it's actually crazy i think they do cite it that warren and kelly actually had the same like stats like oh, really? height and weight <laughs> warren was just like a like a well he was a pretty boy yeah before he was a prepubescent boy right they were like five foot four hundred and fifteen hundred twenty like pounds time, what
3: 14 i mean some boys haven't gone through that puberty quite right. yet and probably was very small and <laughs> yes and so he had to
2: go do time with oh good adults. luck there The trial of Warren commences, and Warren is ultimately found guilty of second-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after seven years. In 2001, Warren appeals, and his appeal is rejected. Mm. In 2007, with the support of Rena's parents, Warren is granted parole. He's part of a rehabilitation program and has made the best of his time in jail. During his time in jail he found out he was part of a i believe a native tribe and they oh. have this rehabilitative program that he did through them where he had to come face to face with rena's parents wow except what he did apologize and they accepted that from him mm-hmm. he also said that from his time in jail he had never done homework before he had never studied before and he right. really found that in jail kelly on the other hand in 2000 three years after rena's death kelly stands trial and she pleads not guilty, of course, Oh gosh! and claims she's being framed by all of her peers. Mind <laughs> you, 30 witnesses testified, 30. but they're all, they're all framing her. All of her. them mm-hmm. are framing her. <laughs> for what reason? <laughs> but the problem is that no one saw her commit the crime Except for other Warren. than Warren. Mm-hmm. That's the one piece that's missing. And Warren will not testify in her trial because he is afraid of the repercussions in his jail for With- being a rat adult men that would probably severely hurt him so for he being a rat. chooses to protect himself
3: and not testify but i also get it doesn't I, help the case i but. know i understand that though i mean i i mean it's not the right thing to do morally but i mean you have to do what you have to do to survive in there right especially in an adult prison when you're a little boy
2: and <laughs> i mean he was the one piece but maybe he was thinking that with the rest of the 30 well, witnesses that it would, would be think, okay yeah the defense basically tears apart. Every single witness and makes it appear as they are all incompetent, have something to gain from their testimony, have a problem with Kelly, are drug addicts, ex drug addicts involved in prostitution. They just tear them all apart mm-hmm. and all of their credibility. Despite all of this that's stacked up against the prosecution and the defense's good defense of mm-hmm. Kelly, she's ultimately found guilty of second degree murder. She's sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole. I read in two places, one in five years, the other one was seven. So right around that time frame. In 2003, the British Columbia Court of Appeal orders a new trial for Kelly. At this point, she's 21. The court rules that the crown, the the (laughs) court, that's what it's called, (laughs) the crown, asking her 18 times during her testimony why witnesses would give false testimony and try to frame her because they asked that 18 times. That was an unfair trial. So because they asked them a, her a question too many times, it was unfair? Basically, because they're saying that by asking that question, you're going against the presumption of innocence. So and because they drilled that in, they said that was unfair trial. So now now at this point, now at this point of the story, she's out on bail and living in a transitional living facility. And, this and how is in, old is
3: she probably at this point? She's 21. 21.
2: Sorry. OK. And here she's supposed to be learning life skills and out on bond until her next trial. Her bond ends up being revoked because there's a day that she's at this living facility and she goes out to the park and is drinking beers at the park and she's at this park and her cell phone that her mom had brought her in case of emergency, I guess, goes missing and she blames this random woman at the park, a 58-year-old woman. For like taking it? And beats on her. What? So her bond's revoked. Back to jail she goes. Yes. In 2004, she received a new trial, which ended up in a hung jury and therefore declared a mistrial. So right. she, again, she's out. Even though she beat on a 58-year-old woman, they still let her out? Well, I think that she had to serve time for okay, that. so but she this in served regards the to time. This, okay. Hypothetically, she's in there doing it, okay. I guess. But in 2005, she went on trial for a third time and again was found guilty and is sentenced again to life. Okay. Fast forward to September 2008, so about three years later. The British Columbia Court of Appeals overturns her second-degree murder conviction again, Why and now? orders a fourth trial. Why? On the grounds that the judge gave erroneous instructions to the jury over testimony. What? But uh-huh. in June of 2009, the Supreme Court of Canada reinstates the second-degree murder conviction, and they say no, that Thank applies. You. Almost 12 years after the beating and drowning death of Rena, she's finally found guilty and it's going to stay that way and she's not going to have a fourth trial okay good there was at the supreme court it was an eight to one decision Mm -hmm. to dismiss the prospect of even having another trial so the supreme court says no no no, we're going to take that back it stands right in 2020 ellard was released to day parole and i didn't go into this because it was just way too much to go into but during jail time she was allowed conjugal visits and she is able to get pregnant while in jail. So she starts raising her first child in a program where oh, I've heard they of basically teach them how to, you know, they supply them with everything and they teach them how and to they parent. And they live in the jail with them, with, right? Yeah, I've exactly. heard of this before. Mm-hmm. Um, so by the time she gets out in 2020 on day parole, she's actually raising two children okay, with the same man. As of 2020, she lives in a rehab center. That's the last update I've seen. She has two children living in a rehab center, and she's okay. now our age. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So late 30s. Technically, how long was she in jail then
3: from the time? she Do you think like, what, 15 years or so? Last how time, long she was actually in Yeah, prison. like after she finally got convicted. Is it less than that, you think?
2: Maybe, yeah. Maybe around that, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So probably, yeah, maybe like 15 or yeah. so years.
3: That's not enough.
2: So Rena's family has put together anti-bullying campaigns they'll speak at schools there's actually a required reading that's done in canada Mm -hmm. for different age groups depending on what age group you are regarding anti-bullying and it's basically rena's story and her father wrote a book called rena a father's story and just talks about what rena was like growing up and raising Mm -hmm. her and how the family was and then ultimately how it was losing her aside from being huge advocates for Mm anti-bullying they also are they're supportive of warren and In Canada, they have been a huge symbol of forgiveness and the possibility of the power of forgiveness. And they all say, oh, we can't forget, but you can forgive. Unfortunately, in 2018, though, Rina's mother, Suman, did pass away. Um, Strangely enough, she choked in a restaurant. Really? Like, that's how she went. Oh, no one knew the Heimlich there? I don't know. This is just trauma after trauma. Right. So that's where we are. And that is the very incredibly sad story of Rena Virk. And the absolutely senseless, no No, rhyme or reason reason. for the beating or the murder. Kelly did not know her. Warren did not know her. Warren and Kelly were not close. They just went to the same school. That's about it. (sighs) Why I
3: just? I mean, I know you said there's no answer. But it just like makes no sense why Kelly and Warren had did all that after. Everything. Apparently, Kelly was like just, it seems you know, like if they all left. If the deed was done. They could have mm-hmm. just left it at that. Like, what was the point of? What was I the really point? there's so, no. that's why I said it. I'm like, what? Why Kelly? It
2: was no skin off her back. She had nothing to do. Like, apparently, she, she was just you know. Being tough for her friend and showing don't mess with Nicole, but really killing somebody. someone over it. And then Warren is like... Thinks he's in a gang and Warren G. Yeah. Right. But then just beating a girl that he doesn't know. No, No, the whole thing doesn't make sense. Crazy. I watched this one documentary and she literally says, I didn't murder her. I wasn't there when she died. So I didn't have anything to do with that. And then Keith Morrison. Gotta love Keith Morrison. Oh, I love Keith Morrison. He says... Well, maybe if you didn't fight her in the first place, maybe her murder maybe wouldn't have happened. happened. That whole plan
3: wouldn't have been in place.
2: And she was like, maybe not. Wow. That sounds like someone who's remorseful. Way to accept responsibility. Yeah. Well, thanks, Cody. Thanks for that episode. For pictures relating to this case, visit our Instagram at Over the Fence underscore Podcast. And as a reminder, there's always our Patreon that we mentioned at the beginning of the episode. For the Patreons, we gave a shout out to. We will have a new Patreon episode coming the fifteenth of this month, mm-hmm. and that is for Patreon members only. So you get a bonus episode every month. Go check out our Patreon if you want to see the one from last month, and then the one from this month coming yep. up. And we look forward to talking more true crime with you next week. Over the Fence.